want to thank y'all for tuning in to the Tracker's Perspective with Roll'em and Hold'em Tracking. This is going to be the first episode in our multi-episode series going over our 2022-2023 tracking season. And in this episode, we're going to be going over tracks one through six from that season. Um, and we're just going to go into detail as to what we experienced um, and go into detail on the de- the information on these tracks in hopes that it will help hunters and other trackers kind of understand what it's like from a tracker's perspective. Um, and just to give you all a little info, we covered 12 counties in Georgia this year and 13 in Florida. Um, the Georgia counties were Atkinson, Brantley, Camden, Charlton, Clinch, Eccles, Glen, Lanier, Lowndes, Pierce, Ware, and Wayne counties. And then in Florida, we covered Alachua, Baker, Bradford, Clay, Columbia, Duval, Nassau, St. John's, Union, Hamilton, Putnam, Sewanee, and Gilcrest counties. Um, now, we didn't track in every county this year, but um, most of the time, and you got to think that's 25 counties total that we covered, um, we get multiple calls in multiple counties every single tracking season, every single day. So, we may end up from, say, Fargo, Georgia to Perry, Florida. It just, it depends on the calls that we get and we run our calls in a way that we covered everybody in a specific area while we were there and before we moved on to the next one and that's typically how I try to run my track and season calls is I will work in one area and then move to the next and move to the next so that way all of the hunters that call for our help get that assistance but we're going to go into detail as to how we did our tracks for the season we're going to start with track number one All right, so we're going to get started with track number one. Um, Track number one for the season, the call come in on Wednesday, September the 14th of 2022. And it was a direct call from a friend of ours that had a buddy hunting with him there in Fargo, Georgia. Um, They were hunting on private land. Um, His buddy had made the shot about 6.30 that evening from his climber, and he was roughly about 15 to 20 feet up. Um, he made the shot with his crossbow. He was shooting a muzzy fixed blade broadhead. And according to what they described to me as the buck was standing broadside at about 35 to 40 yards. Um, typically with these kind of calls, we hear broadside. Um, and generally those deer are more so quartering to or quartering away. But in this actual situation, this deer was broadside. Um, but when they give me the call, um, They were telling me that they didn't have any blood at the shot site itself of where he made the shot. Um, The only thing that they were able to find was the fletching end of his bolt. His bolt had actually broke, but the only piece of the bolt that they were able to find was just the fletchings. It snapped off right below the fletchings. Um, They did see where the deer had went into a thick spot as he was sitting on the edge of a clear cut in some open pines that went into a thick swampy area and that's where the deer went was he'd run down that edge of the open pines in that swampy area and then tucked off into that swampy area 
Um, so they had walked a little bit to look and found something that I would describe looked to me when they video called me because they video called me to ask me what the heck they had found. Um, it looked like a dirty, nasty, filthy dish rag. It was about six to eight inches long. And it just, that's what it looked like, a dirty, nasty, filthy dish rag. Um, looking at it, they had found that about 75 yards from the hit site. I told them that appeared to look like some kind of gut material to me. It was hard to tell from a video chat with Sketchy Service, but that's what I told them is it looked like some kind of gut matter or gut material. Um, they did have a couple of drops of bright red blood on a log right there, but other than that, there was nothing else. They didn't find anything from there to the roughly the seven, last 75 yards where the deer had turned into the woods, where they had thought he had turned into the woods anyway. Um, I told them, you know, we're going to treat this 100% like a gut shot um, and plan to meet them at their camp around midnight. Um, they had a, another friend of theirs that had shot one, and they were going to look for it. So there was a good chance that I may have to track that one as well. But by the time we got to their camp at midnight, they had done found that other deer and were almost finished skinning it. So we just had to wait a few minutes for them to get that done. Um, but we did finally get to the hit site and put out on it at 1230 a.m. And the dogs, you know, they went that couple hundred yards there where they had walked back and forth. And this is why it's so imperative. And we say, you know, if you can't find any signs of a hit or the blood runs out, don't be walking around looking because what it did does is it spreads that scent out for the dogs to track and it gets it everywhere it's like it sticks to the bottom of your shoe like gum that's what i equivalent it to and then when you walk wherever you walk you drag that scent where with you and it takes the dogs a little bit to figure out so they were running between the shot site the gutty material where he went to the tree line and back and forth back and forth trying to figure this thing out and i got to walking and looking and found where he had brushed up against a tree and left just a couple of drops of blood on that tree. And I was like, ah, he went this way. We got the dogs on the right trail, got them from running back and forth trying to figure it out. I had Tiny and Izzy out on this one. Um, and we tracked from that, that tree line probably about 200, 250 yards. So now we're around a 400 to 500 yard mark. Um, and it come up to a corner of this swampy area where there was pretty much just open clear cut. You either had to turn back into the swamp or you had to go out into these open clear cuts. The dogs cast it out into the clear cuts and never really hit on anything. Um, they were thinking he may have shot across the clear cut into another swamp head, but no, the dogs did not agree with that. Got to looking around in that, that little point of that corner of the swampy spot and had found you know, a couple more bright red drops of blood on brushed up against trees. It's like the deer run a circle right there, and it's, we just couldn't figure out where he went. Um, there was a little bit more of that nasty dish rag looking material. Now, it, to me, that I never could put my finger on it because that's exactly what it looked like in person. It looked like a dirty dish rag. And I kept telling them, you know, it's got to be some kind of gut material, but I've never seen anything like it. It was literally the, had the look and the texture of a dirty dish rag. Um, so I told them, I was like, that deer did not go in those clear cuts. I believe he wheeled back right here in this corner. He's not going to want to put himself out in the open. And about that time, we actually heard coyotes go off very, very, very close. And of course, this got the guy that shot the deer, Lelancey. He was getting a little worried about it. 
So I told him, it's so thick, and it was stupid thick. You could not really go through there without crawling on your hands and knees, and it was wet. And I did not want anybody to accidentally put their hands on a water moccasin. So I opted to go down the outside of this swamp on the edge of it. And when I say it was a fresh chop, clear cut, it was fresh chop. So there was water, logs, tree bits, still everywhere. I said, let's just go down the edge. He obviously wheeled back and see if the dogs can pick it up. Well, we didn't go maybe 200 yards down the side of that clear cut along the edge of that swampy area, and the dogs went to winding into this spot. It was open like a logging road, but it was actually where the logging trucks load at. So it was a loading dock, and they had a small little tram road kind of cut up into the swamp there, and it was wet. It was flooded. We were already shin deep in water tripping over limbs and dead trees and stuff. It's not even been cleaned up yet. And the dogs had split. Tiny was roughly two or 300 yards away. Izzy was about 175, but I had noticed she was making a turn to come back. And I heard splashing that was closer than what she was. But you could tell it was two distinctive different sets of splashing. One was further, one was closer. And I told him, I was like, I'm wondering if she may have jumped this deer. And this was about 1.30, 1.30 that morning. I said, because Tiny's behind, but he's coming the same route, and he's coming quick. I said, but I don't think he's going to catch up by the time it gets to us, because it was coming dead straight to us. I told them, keep their lights off. We're going to stand here nice and quiet. When it runs up here and gets a little bit closer, I will hit it with my light. So it's not all lights drawn on it, and, you know, it causes it a chaotic experience, which it ended. this one ended up being chaotic at the end. But... It got up there probably within 30 yards of us, and I hit it with the light, and sure enough, that was his deer standing there. He had shot him further back, and I'm guessing from the angle he was at the in the climber versus the yardage of the shot, he skimmed about midway of the body, skimmed under his belly just enough to cut him open. And that dirty dish rag material we were finding was actually the skin and some intestines i didn't realize it because it was all in that water that's what we were finding that's why it looked like a dirty dish rag but um he confirmed yes that's him and i said well izzy's right here because she was i mean right on his heels in this situation normally on a track like this what i try to do is if i can verify the deer is still alive and on its feet and it is in this situation a gut shot typically i would pull out I would catch the dogs up right then, get them close, get them caught, come back in six hours. He's still alive. Give him six more hours. We'll come back and put on him. But as close as Izzy was to him, and then Tiny was steadily catching up, I said, you know, let's give them a little bit. They're staying kind of right here in this corner of the swamp because they had done run a few circles before I realized what was going on. Um... I said, let's see what happens. So the deer took off because neither, you know, we didn't have the crossbow with us. It was too dangerous across that top in the wet. Only thing I had was a pistol. And according to Georgia rules, you cannot finish an animal off without using the weapon that's in season. So for him to have been able to finish that deer off, he would have had to have done it with the crossbow. So um, the deer took off across the clear cut which was a fatal mistake because Izzy was able to stop him within about 100 yards. And the hunter got to learn a valuable, very valuable lesson. Um, in these kind of situations, I usually tell the hunters, once they stop that deer, we're not going to run in there, jump on it, act crazy. 
we're going to ease in there and we'll get him, you know, we'll get him pinned. We'll get him finished off because I don't try to use the pistol in this kind of situation. So obviously I'm going to have to go with a knife. I carry a knife that we call the Deer Sticker 1000. It is a 110 buck. I've had it for years. I've never put an edge on it, but it's what it's used for specifically. So I told him, I said, well, ease it there. One of us will get on him, you know, knee him in the neck, flip him. And you can finish him off with the knife. He's your deer. You'll finish him off. I don't know if it was the stress of it. We've done been after this thing a little bit. Um, it's his first time, you know, shooting one with a crossbow. And, you know, this got hog hunted too. So I don't know if he thought it would be the same as a hog. And then I don't know if it was a combination of being worried about the coyotes in the area and his, you know, nerves of getting it that he's going to get away. That's the only thing I can think is in his head he thought it was going to get away. He got excited. He jumped on this deer, which it put on a little bit of a show for us. Um, the deer whipped him off, whipped uh, Izzy off. Well, when it turned to break, Tiny had gotten there by this point, and they run him about another hundred yards, stopped him again, and it was a lesson learned for the hunter. We eased up there, finished him off with a knife, and it was less chaotic the second time. So there was a live recovery. It was a big cow horn spike, but we put on that deer at 1230, am and we recovered him at 147 um now and like i said in this situation typically i try to make sure that it's a gut shot and if it is a gut shot we back out and give it six hours but in this situation the dogs were so close to him and we were able to get so close i figured i'd give him a couple of minutes to see if they could seal the deal um basically get him stopped for us to finish off because the deer was going to expire anyway uh, it was just not a matter of if when so in that situation typically i will let them go on if they're close um, but that does conclude track number one and we're going to move on to track number two all right we're going to get started with track number two um, track number two was a referral um, a friend of ours referred this guy to us um, he didn't know him i didn't know him um, he had just seen in a Facebook group that this guy was looking for a tracking dog, so he referred him to us. Um, the track was in Baxley, Georgia. Um, it was on some private land. Um, this guy made the shot around 7.20 that morning. Um, that was on Thursday, September the 15th of 2022. Um, that morning, he was saddle hunting. He was roughly about 25 feet up or so. And he was shooting his compound bow with a fixed blade. And when I got to talking with him, he said the shot was a roughly about a 14-yard shot and that the buck was quartering away from him. Um, he was actually able to get this shot on video um, and sent the video to me, and I was able to watch it. Um, he was able to get a pass-through, and he did send a picture of the arrow as well, and the arrow was slap bloody from end to end, just covered in blood. Um, but he did get a pass-through. Um, but there was no blood at the shot site. Um, watching the video, we slowed it down. We screenshot it. We looked at this thing for about 30 minutes while we were on the phone together. I was watching this video and telling him what I thought, you know, just looking at it. Um, the shot was and did appear like it was back, but it was angled. So it was back and maybe just a little bit high. But from the angle of the shot, it would appear that he had gotten into the liver and gut. Um, and that could have been why he had no blood other than on the arrow. 
and there was no blood trail to follow. Um, so I, you know, I had talked with him, but he had somebody, um, come out there and attempt to track it with a blood dog. Um, the guy didn't have a tracking dog. He had a blood dog and there is a difference between the two. A tracking dog is trained to track that interdigital scent, whereas a blood dog is just specifically trained to track blood. And that's what this dog was for. Um, it was a young dog, hadn't really been proven, but he was the local tracker in the area. And they really walked that super, super heavily. Um, he said that that blood dog never really picked up on anything. At one point, about 75 yards from the shot site, the direction that appeared the deer had went in the video, um, he said the dog was baying, but when they walked over there, the dog was just sitting there barking. There was no no deer there, no blood there. They couldn't find any evidence of a deer being there at all. Um, he said he wasn't sure what the deal was on that, um, and the, even the handler of the dog wasn't even quite sure because there was just no evidence of anything being there, and the dog was just sitting there barking. Um, they're not quite sure what happened with that. But um, I agreed, you know, I would take a stab at it behind this other dog because <clears throat> the track had been heavily walked. He sent me a picture of where they had been because um, he was tracking it on his Onyx app. Um, and I agreed, you know, we'll go ahead and give it a try. But I was at work, um, but I was able to leave work early and head to him and got to him at about 645 that afternoon. Um, I was taking Tiny and Izzy with me on this one. Um, got there, spoke with him talked with him in a few minutes, looked at his Onyx map again, and, you know, we come up with a game plan, and I was able to finally get uh, put on that track at about 7 p.m. And in situations like this, you know, going behind another dog, another tracker, and they've heavily walked it, I told them going into that we would go to the shot site and attempt, if I couldn't find, if the dogs weren't able to tell me anything right there because it is going to be a heavily contaminated track, um, that we would go the direction based off of his onyx map and give that a shot first to see if that by some slim chance that deer had went that way. Um, after going the direction the deer had went on the video where they had went with the other tracker, it was very evident to me that from the based off of the behavior of my two dogs, the deer did not, they were hunting, they were hunting. They were not tracking. They were hunting. They were looking for it. They were casting out all different directions, trying to find what we were asking them to look for. Now, at the hit site, they were all over it, um, trying to figure it out. It was, like I said, it's heavily contaminated. And like in I mentioned with track one, um, that inner digital scent is like gum to the bottom of your shoe. Once you walk through it, you're basically just spreading it all over the place. So, you know, they're having to f try to figure out what's what, if this this direction the deer actually went. But you could tell they were hunting to try to figure out where it went. Didn't hint on anything. Um, but when we had talked about it going into there, there was a small tram road that kind of went parallel to where they had went with the blood dog. And they had never went back into the thick. Um, behind the shot site, behind the tree he was sitting in. Um, and it, it was this point when we decided to go up that fire, or that little fire break tram road. It was very narrow. Like, you couldn't even get a truck in this thing. Maybe even you were lucky to get a four-wheeler. Um, he said, well, about 15 minutes after the shot, I heard something crashing through these gallberries. And it's thick. You can't see. 
Now, you can't see five foot in front of your face. If you're on the ground, much less in a tree, you're not going to be able to see nothing. I mean, it's thick. Um, he said, I didn't see it, but I heard it. And it was, of course, getting, you know, pretty much well into daylight when he decided to get down. You know, it's, I think he said he got down about 10, 30, 11. But he just, he said he had heard it. So I said, okay, well, at one point when we were at the hit site, one of the dogs had run down that way and was winding that direction, and I wouldn't let him go. And he was like, I, I don't think it went that way, but then he said something about hearing that. So I decided to walk the dogs down there, and sure enough, they both went to Winden and picked an open spot. How they found it, I don't know. is beyond me. I mean, this stuff was thick. These gallberries were thick. You couldn't see five foot in front of your face. Not even a kid. Like, you, you could just grab them and part them. They were so thick. And just make your, your own path. Just crush it over. It was thick. Um, but the dogs were probably, I would say, tiny. Going off my notes here, he was about roughly 150 yards from me when he barked and then started leaving real fast. Izzy was about 75 working through that thick to him. So I looked at them, and I was like, well, that usually means the deer's right there, but he's moving really quick, so he's on it. I said, that's going to be it. Well, we walked over there, and I couldn't find anything. It was just so thick in there. We could not find exactly where Tiny had left from. I looked down at the garment again. He's over 500 yards away and moving fast with Izzy 300 yards. So I'm trying to catch back up to him, and the guy goes, oh, by the way, we don't have but about another 200 yards before we're on somebody else's property. The dog, both dogs are already across the property line. Well, across the property line at this point. I turn around and look at him, and I'm like, you decide to tell me this now. I said, well, I can get one back. She's close enough. I said, but we do have to go a little bit closer. You tell me where the property line is. When we got to the property line, he said, this is the property line. So I stopped. Izzy was in, you know, earshot, 150 yards, but Tiny was 700 50 yards away, but he was no longer moving in a straight line fast. They were doing some circles and zigging and zagging. So I knew what that meant. I mean, it's only a matter of time before he stopped that deer. So I turned around, I looked at him, I said, you better get your onyx and, you know, start making some phone calls. I said, I got the one coming back. Izzy, I toned her and hollered at her and she came on back. I said, but he's too far. I said, he's way too far and he's not going to hear me. I can tone him, but you know, I don't think that's going to work. I told him a couple of times, and he was still going. That's when I knew he was looking at it. And I told him, he's looking at the deer. I said, he is looking at it. I said, for him to ignore me toning him, he's looking at the deer. I said, so you need to use your onyx there, get get in touch with these neighboring landowners. We're, I've got to go get my dog. And this guy looked at me and goes, well, the, the landowners around here are jerks. I'm not even going to worry about it. You need to get him out of there. If you have to shock him, shock him. Because that's what I told him I was going to have to do. I said, the only way I'm going to get him out of there at this point and off that deer is if I shock him. And I said, if I shock him, I'm telling him he's doing bad. I said, right now, he's not doing bad. He's doing his job. I said, you know, you got to work with me here. So we sat there, kind of went back and forth for about five minutes. Tiny really never went any further. In fact, he had made a swing and was kind of coming back. He was more like the six 650 mark at that point. And I told him, you can stay here if you want to, but I have to go get my dog. And he was like, do not cross that property line. He said, because these people around here are jerks. I said, dude's in a cotton field. Now you could tell he was in an open area. He's in a cotton field. I said, he's running around the cotton field. I said, 
I don't want to shock him because if he's got him out in the open, he's going to stop him out in that open. The deer's not wanting to leave that cotton field. And it was not a grown-up cotton field. It was freshly tilled. So they're out there in the dirt. I mean, he's running him around in the dirt. He's going to stop him. I think a deer was trying to wear him out in that soft dirt. But I told him, you know, kind of work with me here. Because it was him and the buddy. And it turned out it was his buddy's property that he was hunting. And his buddy has been great through this whole ordeal. Because this one has turned into a absolute circus at this point. I mean, he's trying. He's trying to look up information to get the number. But the other guy's just like, I don't even want to fool with it. I don't even want to fool with it. So, after going back and forth, I finally said the hell with it. Went ahead and shocked him. Hollered him out of there. Much as I hated to. And on the, walking on the way out, we get back to that road and we're walking it out. And I told him, I said, that's where I would look for buzzards within the next few days. Um, no big deal. And I'm going to tell y'all, as hunters, you better respect your trackers when they tell you something. And don't. Don't do what this guy did. Um, he didn't say anything to me until I got there. But he was like, hey, I don't have any cash on me. I don't get paid till Friday. He said, can I send you something on Cash App or Venmo? Now, I run strictly off tips. I don't charge a fee. Somebody calls me, I'm going. Whatever they feel like it's worth to them, they give me a tip. That's it. You know, I don't, I don't count it. I don't look at it. They give me the money if they want to. I don't ask him for a dime. I never ask for a penny. But I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever it was worth to you, you know, you can just send it to me on Friday. No big deal. Because he told me that he had paid this other guy all of his cash. And it, this guy had charged him $100. So I was like, hey, no, you know, no big deal. Well, I left. You know, obviously, I, we've already run this year over a mile, mile and a half. You know, he's not going to cooperate to try to get a touch with his neighbor landowners. Hey, that's on him. I, my dog did his job, but now here I have to worry. I've shocked him off of when he was doing his job. I don't like to do that because it can cause issues um, in the long run. If you repetitively have to do that, you're going to eventually break your dog of his job. And I did not want to do that because Tiny is my best dog. Um, luckily, Izzy was not far and was able to hear me and I was able to get her attention. But mind you, she wanted to go the whole time. I'm 100% sure he was barking. I just couldn't hear him because he is hard to hear. I'm 100% certain the whole time because she was sitting at my feet whining, waiting for the cue to go, that he was barking and she could hear him. But the very next day, this guy went onto Facebook and badmouthed me and this other tracker. He had no reason to badmouth me. And then said, well, I don't even think that they got on the right deer. Like, I have went through this, and he spoke to other trackers as well. And what upset me about the whole situation is instead of the other trackers saying, well, maybe you should trust your tracker. Instead of knowing the situation and getting a tracker side of it, they just jumped with the tracker was wrong, didn't have the right dogs or had bad dogs. And then somebody asked him, you know, well, who did you use? And he said the other guy, and then he said us. And then this other guy proceeds to attack us, too, which I've never tracked for this guy a day in my life. So I don't even know why he was saying that he had used us and our dogs didn't do anything because he didn't use us. I keep 
tracking books and write my information down. Like, I don't disclose names in these because I'm not going to disclose names. That is between me and the hunters. But these stories, I'm hoping, will help other hunters and trackers to understand what to look for and how to behave. And this is an example of how not to treat your trackers, especially somebody with a properly trained interdigital tracking dog. That is the key there. And then for other trackers to jump on board with it instead of finding out what happened, getting the both sides of the details, they jump on board with it. So let's not do this. Let's use this one as an example of what not to do. But um, never recovered that deer. And I'm certain the deer expired at some point, but I was never given any confirmation after the fact. I pretty much blacklisted this guy. will not track for him again. Um, he's from Callahan, Florida, but he hunts in Baxley, Georgia. So if any trackers get any calls from an individual in any of those two places, um, and you say, and it sounds kind of sus when they say, hey, you know, can I cash up your Venmo you later? Get with me so we make sure that this is not the same guy because he's going to repetitively do this. I have still not received a tip from this guy. And that's another reason why he's on the blacklist. If you say you're going to do it and you don't do it, you're honestly not going to keep your word to me as a person. So why would I recommend you to another tracker where you can take advantage of them as well? So that is another thing to think about as a hunter. If you do your trackers dirty, it gets around the tracking community. But we're going to wind up track two and go into track number three. All right, we're going to go on to track number three. Um, track number three was on Friday, September the 16th of 2022. Um, this one was a direct call. Um, I have tracked for this hunter previously. Um, and he was out of Folkestone, Georgia, hunting on private land. Um, he'd given me the call roughly about noon that day. He had made the shot that morning about 7.30 um, from his ladder stand. He was shooting his compound bow, fixed blade. Um, said it was about a 25 to 30 yard shot and the buck was approximately broad, you know, approximately, approximately that distance. And he was standing broadside. Um, he sent me pictures of the deer. It was a big eight point, pod ball eight point specifically. Um, but when he, we were talking, he did say that he thought he might have hit him a little bit low. Um, there was very little blood on the arrow. Um, he did send me pictures of the arrow. There was minimal blood on the arrow on the Fletchens, mostly mix of brown and white hair. Um, he did say that they had tracked some bright red blood for several hundred yards through some water, but it got to a point where he had lost it and he marked it with a t-shirt and backed out. Um, and when he contacted me, I was at work. So we agreed that I would get to him about 6, 6.30 that afternoon. Um, I got Tiny and Izzy loaded up, and we got there around 6.15. Um, kind of come up with a game plan. I told him, you know, we'll go in. We'll go and start at the hit site. Go through the water, get to your last blood, and then see where they go from there. Um, so we put on it about 6.30 that evening. And uh, got to the shot site. And you could still see. I mean, it was wet in there, but you could still see where the blood had been on the water. Um, if you've ever blood trailed a deer through water, it almost looks like an oil slick on top of the water. If you pay very close attention to blood on the water, you'll see the droplets kind of leave 
what almost would look like an oil slick. And you could see where they had walked through there, but you could see where that blood had been on the water, um, where it had gotten spread out. And you could see blood on the bushes and the grass as he went through this water. And at some points, this water got up to waist deep. Waist deep. This was some deep water. Why this deer decided to swim through the swamp is beyond me. Because I know at some points this deer had to have been swimming. Um, we were trying to stay on the high, dry side. And the dogs, you could hear them swimming through this water. Um, got to the last blood where he had a shirt mark in it. And the dogs just left from there. I mean, they never stopped. They just kept going. Um, so we followed them on through the swamp, come out to a dry, drier spot. I wouldn't say it was dry because it was still wet in there, but it was, it was drier than what we had been through. Most of what we had been through was straight water. Um, but we got up to where it was getting dry patches and going kind of towards another pine hill. And at this point, um, we had already been about six or 700 yards and, we, blood had done run out, done had stopped. Um, we ended up tracking that deer a total of almost two miles through that swamp, through another pine head, into another swamp, back up onto another pine head. I finally called that track at about 9.30 that night and told him, you know, I believe that deer was still alive and moving and that he should be fine and survive. And eventually, it took about a month or two for that deer to come back. And he did end up getting him caught on camera um, so he was able to verify that he was still alive. And as far as we know, that deer right there has not been harvested. Um, this guy did everything right as far as analyzing what he did with the track. He didn't walk, he blood trailed it till the blood ran out. He did not walk any further. He didn't look because it was wet. And he has used me previously and he knows to take my advice. Um, but I did agree with him that he did hit him low. Um, we've still not really been able to get a good picture of this deer to verify exactly where he hit him at. But, I mean, we were finding bright red blood all the way up to his last blood. Look at me trying to throw my phone. Um, about drop my phone. <laughs> and, of course, I would do it in the middle of a podcast. But um, he he did everything right. I mean, the dogs worked it and were steadily still working it when I called them off. It was just at this point, you could tell this deer was traveling and he was, you know, we didn't find any spots where he had bedded or laid down. So it was very obvious this deer was going, had it, had it in his head. He was going somewhere. He was back business as usual, even possibly because some of the places we did find rubs and old scrapes. Were they freshened up? No, but I think he had it in his mind that he was going back home where he originally came from. But it did take him a while to come back. And, it, you know, nobody that we're aware of has harvested this year. So he should get a chance to harvest him next year. But that is going to complete track number three. And we're going to go on to track number four. All right, we're going to go into track number four. Um, track number four was also a direct call. Um, we received a call on Saturday, September the 17th of 2022. Um, I friend of ours, we've known him for quite some time. Um, he was hunting their private lease there in Maxville, Florida, and he made the shot right at about daylight. Um, he was hunting out of a ladder stand, and he was using his compound bow with a fixed blade broadhead, and from us just talking, he said that it was approximately 14-yard shot, and the buck was quartered to him. Um, 
he did send me pictures of this deer. It was a very nice eight point. They do quality deer management on their lease. So everything there is eight point or better anyway. Um, but he originally, when he shot him right at daylight, he really thought he missed him. Like he thought it was a complete miss. So he went on, continued hunting. And when he got down to go get his arrow, is when he noticed that there was some blood on his arrow. And it was just mainly on the fletching part. Um, there was some brown and white hair mixed on the arrow shaft, but there was no blood at the shot site. Um, he knew the direction he had went. Um, so we agreed, you know, give it a little bit of time, but we went ahead and planned to get to him around 12 30 one o'clock um we got to him at 12 50 and we put on it at one o'clock um and we ended up tracking this deer with tiny and izzy about two and a half miles roughly um we did eventually find a little bit of blood on the other side of the road where he had crossed the road and went but it wasn't much it was just some bright red specks and then it just there was nothing for the rest of the way i mean the dogs were tracking but it was it was obvious by the way that they were tracking they'd go out come back 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 that you know this deer was gonna survive there was no other way to put it um we ended up stopping around 2 30 because like i said it was a long drawn out process they would go out come back we'd go you know go on they'd go out come back i'm reading them you know izzy at one point finally just said to heck with it and she stayed with us and that's when i knew right then when izzy come back to my feet and stayed at my feet at this point this deer is long gone he's gonna survive and they ended up actually getting him back on camera on the 20th so three days later at 10 4 p.m he had him back on camera and then on september nope i'm wrong here I'm looking at my notes and looking at the september when they had him back on camera but he was harvested by his girlfriend with her rifle on november the 11th of 2022 um so when she harvested that deer of course we had this deer back on camera with the shot placement verified that it was low um had he hit him another inch or two higher it would have been a heart shot dead heart shot but he just did skim him right at the corner of his elbow and under his belly so it was just there was nothing vital hit no no major damage i mean you could see it on the pictures and then when she harvested him they were able to verify that shot placement but again he was another one of those hunters that did everything right um and this is why we're so emphasizing on not walking around and looking when you can't find any blood or you can't find evidence of a shot because he did not walk around and spread that scent all over the place so the dogs were able to pinpoint exactly where that deer went right when we got there and started tracking and it was just a long slow process of tracking this one up to the point that izzy quit and i finally called it and that like i said you know we put on it at one o'clock and an hour and a half we went roughly two and a half miles so um just goes to show those deer they'll go as far as they need to go um and this deer was never pressured to go that far we never found any beds where he bedded down he just kept once he i think run a little ways and then started walking that was the end of that um 
but that'll complete track number four and then we're going to go into track number five and we're going to go into track number five um, track number five was also on Saturday, September the 17th of 2022. Um, it was a track from the Florida Blood Trailing Network um, out of St. John's County. Um, this guy was hunting on some private land. He leases there. And he made the shot about 730 that morning. He was in his climber about 20 to 30 feet up. Um, he made the shot with his crossbow. Um, I never did catch if he was using a fixed or mechanical blade but i do know um that he was using that crossbow um that he said he it was approximately when i was talking with him about a 25 to 30 yard shot and that's what he posted on the network as well and he said that the buck was standing broadside when he took the shot um and this part of the season is like the beginning of both season for florida and georgia is the busiest for your trackers so everybody just happened to be slammed and busy that day um, and I spoke with him about two o'clock. I had finally seen his post there and I was like, you know, if I finish up these other couple of tracks and nobody's gotten to you, I will come. And I got in touch with him after I finished our track number four. Um, and he said, you know, nobody had gotten to him. And so we agreed to go ahead and go to him. But when he, when I was speaking with him, he had mentioned, you know, that he had his broken bolt and bright red blood, which he had posted pictures of that on the Blood Trailing Network. So I was able to see those. Um, but speaking with him, he said, you know, he had this, what he called good blood. And he thought he had hit him behind the one shoulder and that the bolt broke off in the offside shoulder. Um, this track is one of those tracks, you know, I'm going to use in his example as a teaching moment. But he was worried about some rain coming in that afternoon around noon and he had a couple of friends that had some deer dogs so they brought those out there and put them on it and were not able to recover it and by the time that we agreed to go to him you know that rain had come through and just pretty much washed what was left of the blood trail away um, we got him at six fifteen. come up with this game plan i told him you know we're going to go in here we're going to try it because of course those deer dogs coming in um, they may, and then walking in there, they may have spread some interdigital scent the wrong way. Um, we weren't really necessarily worried about that rain coming through and washing that blood trail away because if anything, it helps hold that interdigital scent in better, which of course, here we have the problem with a contaminated track. Um, like, you know, I have mentioned with previous tracks that interdigital scent will stick to the bottom of your shoe like gum. And when you walk, you just spread it everywhere. And then having those deer dogs in there on top of it, just, you know, going behind another dog, that just adds a little more difficulty to it. But we went ahead and put on this track at 630. And like I discussed with him, we're going to let him go in there and kind of work it and then see where it goes from there. Um, now, he had showed me on his onyx app that when they had tracked with the deer dogs they went straight through the block well when we got to the point where he said the blood's kind of started trickling out that the um that's where the dog the deer dogs had went straight on through the block well mine did not agree and they hung a left i mean a hard 90 hung a left and we ended up going up behind some houses in a swamp bottom and it was at that point that they just 
seemed like they lost it. It got into some really watery, thick, looked like gator holes at some point. And I was getting a little nervous, especially being up behind these houses. Um, did not want to get off this guy's property if we could help it. And we were, you know, the closer and closer to houses and it was getting wetter and wetter and down into a swamp. And then it started to get thick. And the dogs at this point were kind of starting to cast a little bit. Um, but I went ahead and humored it, went back to where they hung the left, tried to get them to go the way the deer dogs went. They didn't want to go. But all in all, between the casting and the track, and we ended up going about two miles, and I ended up just calling the track at 815 and saying, you know, this is not going to happen because I did have another track lined up. And I didn't want them to have to wait all night on us. But I could already just tell, based off of what I was seeing, that he hit a high shoulder shot is more than likely what he got. And typically with your archery equipment, crossbow, compound bow, they just don't have enough oomph to get through those shoulder blades. So I told him, you know, it's more than likely it's like you said, you know, but you hit high shoulder. So it broke off into the other side. Um, and in these situations, more than likely those deer do survive and you'll get to harvest them later if they come back. Um, we called that and we were, got back to the truck and getting ready to go to the next one and <laughs> got blue lighted. That was the funniest thing about the whole night. He had done drove off, left us. I'm getting in touch with him, you know, my hunter for the next track. And we got blue lighted because somebody from those houses called us in with the flashlights. They thought we were shining and poaching deer. They didn't know we were tracking deer. They just seen our lights and assume that we were shining the deer in the crop field across the road. It, it was funny. The officer, she was wonderful. That St. John's County officer, she was wonderful. Gave her one of my cards. We told her what was going on, where we were fixing to go. And she was, she was, she giggled about the situation, but she was just like, y'all have a nice night. But I never did get any confirmation back on this deer as to whether he recovered it or not. Um, if he got it back on camera, if it showed up later or whatnot, or if he found it later dead, I never heard anything back. Um, and that usually typically happens with hunters that have, you know, new hunters I've used from these blood trail networks this is the first time I use them. I may not get that report back, but once I, they use me a few times then they start saying, Hey, you know, I got, got them back on camera. I've just never heard back from this guy. Um, but this one is just one of those examples of, if you don't have access to a tracking dog right away and it's a busy part of the season, just wait. Have the patience to just wait. Rain's not going to hurt that track for those tracking dogs. And like I said, tracking dogs are not the same as blood dogs. Make sure you're getting an interdigitally tracked tracking dog when you make a call for a tracker. Try not, because deer dogs are also not the same as tracking dogs those deer dogs are trained to go off live deer scent they're going to take the freshest deer they come across and i'm afraid that's what happened there is other deer come through there and they picked up the freshest track and went on which of course then they contaminated the original track by walking through there and spreading that scent a little way it just it makes it difficult when you have to have another dog come behind dogs like that or even another tracking dog you just have to remember that it adds difficulty to that track We've got to work through contamination. So if you can help it, try not to panic about weather. Um, try not to panic about, you know, the time frame. Wait. Patience is a virtue. Wait for that tracker to get to you.
because that ups your chances of finding your deer successfully. But that's going to complete track number five, and we're going to go on to track number six. And we're going to go on to track number six. Um, tracks number six was also on Saturday, September the 17th of 2022. Um, this hunter, she was from Callahan, Florida, hunting there on our private lease. Um, when she gave me the call, she had mentioned that she had gotten our number from the Florida Blood Trailing Network list. And just speaking with her, um, she had made this shot roughly around 7 o'clock that evening. Um, she was hunting out of a ground blind with her crossbow and she had a fixed blade on her bolt and she said that when she made the shot the buck it was a good eight or a ten point he was quartering away um and just talking with her in asking her you know the questions that i have to ask um from what i gathered from speaking with her is she had that broken bolt but the luminoc end was still in the deer. This, the luminoc was, end was still in the buck. Um, they did have some blood there at the shot site. But it kind of was right there and then nothing. And then they found some blood and followed the blood trail for a little bit. Um, she does believe that she hit him in the shoulder. Um, which is what caused that bolt to break off. But... After talking with her a little bit, going through the details, um, she mentioned that they did hear deer get up when they were at that last bit of blood. So they believe that they may have bumped him up when they were looking right there by that last bit of blood that they had found. And she said that based off of what she could hear in the dark, it sounded like he was 50 to 75 yards away from him when he got up. So they got relatively close I feel like um we were leaving that other track heading to them um and got to got to them at about 9 45 and we come up with a game plan because we met them at their camp and we went ahead and come up with a game plan on what we were going to do um I told them we were going to go in there to the shot site and we were going to take it from there, follow that blood, make sure that the dogs agree, but follow that blood to the last blood, and then see where they go from there. If they go the direction that, you know, they heard the deer get up from, we'll kind of walk that way and look. Um, took us a little bit to drive back there to the shot site, and we got put on it about 10.15 p.m. So we got put on it about 10.15 that night. Um, got in there to the shot site, and yeah, it was bright red blood right up to where it trickled out and dogs kind of circled you could tell they had walked around right there in the pine rows you know just kind of looking to see if they could find any more blood they didn't go no more than 50 yards um in the other directions they didn't go towards the direction they heard the deer get up they did not do that because they weren't sure they did not want to take a chance but they did kind of look out into the pine rows to make sure it didn't hang a right or go another way and um they didn't find anything but when we got to that point the dogs actually went towards the direction that they heard the deer get up from so we decided to kind of follow along behind them there and we started finding more bright red blood um i didn't find it we didn't find the bed i don't know if we were just on the wrong row or what have you 
But we never did find the bed of where that deer got up from. But we continued on to follow behind them. Um, it was Tiny and Izzy. I had put them out. And I was kind of, we were just, you know, roughly 100, 150 yards behind them, just following behind them. And we got to a point where there was, we had been following, you know, just bright red blood kind of behind them into a point where it was lost. And I didn't really want to leave that last bit of blood until I was sure that they were going to stay going that direction. Because we were, you know, 100, 150 yards behind them. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're just kind of looking right around that last bit of blood, not really going no more than 50, 75 yards from it, coming back to it. And I just, you know, not paying attention to us looking. They got out to about 500 yards and were running back and forth and around and around across the road. And talking with them that, you know, that's one of their club roads and it's theirs on the other side. But they kept going back and to across, would run some circles on the other side, come back to the road, run up and down the road, run back on this side. It was just like they were running circles at this point, I felt like maybe they were on the deer. And he was over there trying to lose him because they said there was a swamp on the other side. So, we go to head that way. We start finding more bright red blood along the... I'm trying to stay kind of on the track the dogs went. And we're still finding bright red blood along that track. We come... I decided to cut off part of the track because it was looking like it was going into a briar thicket and we did not want to try to tromp through thick. We wanted to try to get to the dogs as quick as we could and we picked an open way, went straight on out to the road. And at this point, the dogs are running up and down the road. So now I've, and now we've got running deer sign up and down the road too. And I'm like, okay, he's done something right here. He's done something funny. We spent, you know, roughly... 20 minutes walking back and forth and I decided that you know they could still keep looking the dogs were kind of bumping around by me at this point I told them I was going to walk back to where they had come out of that briar thicket and see you know where he had maybe had crossed the road and we can get him straightened out as that like a restart would restart from right there well <laughs> these gallberries and briars were overhead high on the side of this road and at the point, it dipped down to about waist high on me, or chest or waist high, I would say, in some places. And I found the open spot they come out of, but, of course, it was thick beside the road. Like, it busted through thick gallberries to get, but it was just a little open patch. And lo and behold, there he stood. He had done doubled back and was trying, I guess, to go back and then wheel right back and come back across the road. I don't know what this deer was thinking, but all I could see was his him face on now once i had realized that they were running this thing i know i'm in florida we did not have our crossbow with us i texted a game warden and was like hey we're tracking a deer that i believe he may still be on his feet and alive but i'm you know i don't know i haven't gotten caught up to the dogs yet to see um what we've got but i feel like they may be able to recover this deer because they've been running around in circles right there and he told me do what you have to do to recover that deer. And if you think he's going to survive, then pull out of there. You know, let me know what you decide you're going to have to do. Well, when I got out to that road, I texted him back and told him that I don't know yet. But if I see this deer right here somewhere like he squatted, do I have the green light? Basically to finish him off with the pistol. Because 
I didn't know if they were going to be able to catch and hold him. I was just hoping that maybe he had squatted right there and one of us would see him. And he was like, yeah, sure, if you do what you need to do. So I had the green light to do what I had to do. And it's, you know, this is, comes into a point where you have to be able to reach out to FWC or the DNR as a hunter and as a tracker to be sure you can do certain things. I didn't know at that point when I got there the, the actual recovery law on a wounded deer as far as if you could use a pistol to recover a bow shot deer, a muzzleloader shot deer, or what have you. But um, Josh shot at him with the Glock at about 10 to 15 steps. He wheeled and run, and it was not a fatal shot, and that was around 1230. But all in all, we ended up tracking that deer a total of six miles before I called it at about 2.30 that morning. Um, he was just not stopping, and the dogs weren't catching up to him. They even tried to hold him at bay. He was just not having it. And by the time we called off of him, he was walking again and walked across the main road, and we walked out. Um, and we never did hear back. I've tracked for them since, but we never did hear back. She's never got him back on camera. He's never showed up. They never found buzzards, and none of the neighboring properties have. So we're not sure what happened with that one. But that's going to wind up number six. And we'll go into um, just a little recap of everything. So that's going to wind up this episode. Um, we went through tracks one through six. Um, just going to kind of recap here on some things. Uh, you, I've mentioned it in several of these tracks that, you know, that inner digital scent has gotten spread out and those tracks get contaminated. If you can, have the patience to wait and you don't find any sign, back out. Um, I usually say you get to that last blood and you can't find anything, don't look no more than 50 yards in either direction from that last blood before you back out because you're just going to spread that inner digital scent out and it's just going to make it a little bit more difficult to work that track out. But that is going to wrap up this episode. If you have any questions, um, feel free to reach out to me or reach out to Josh. Um, on any of our social media platforms. You can go to our Facebook page, Rollem and Hold'em, Track It and Recovery. Um, you can ask questions through there. Um, you can also get our contact information from there as well. If you've got any questions um, or anything that you would like to add, um, I'll have a question and answer section after every episode. Um, so if you have any questions, feel free to ask those. And if you want them to be included in the podcast, just say, hey, you can include this in the podcast and we will add it to our question and answer section at the end when we get those. So feel free to ask questions. Um, if I don't know the answer, or Josh doesn't know the answer, I can reach out to other trackers and get that information for you. If you have a question on your game laws, by all means, feel free to reach out to me and I will do the research. Um, like I said, you know, as trackers, we're con constantly learning, and these laws are very key to understanding what you can and can't do. If there's any questions to that, if, you, if I don't know the answer, I will find somebody that does. If Josh doesn't know the answer, he will find somebody that does. Um, we will find somebody that has an answer to a question if, you, if I don't have it or we don't have it. But y'all feel free to ask those questions, and we will go on to episode two which will cover tracks 7 through 12. 
Um, but feel free to ask questions and we will answer those and stay tuned for the next episode.